So you might be wondering, why are we doing a sermon series based on a song? <laughs> well, the reality is, is that a lot of the songs that we sing, including this Graves to Gardens song, is based on Scripture. The lyrics come from Scripture itself. Graves to Gardens gives us several of Jesus's promises. And this whole series, we're going to be looking at several of the promises that Jesus made that are mentioned within this song. The first one is on mourning into dancing. Jesus turns mourning into dancing. Now you might be wondering, well, where does Jesus actually say this in the Bible? Well, we can find it in Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a parallel scripture in Luke 6:21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Actually, before Jesus was even born, the prophet Isaiah predicted that the Messiah, that Jesus, would be a blessing to those who mourn. We can see this in Isaiah 61, verse 3, which says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Now this morning, we're going to be talking about two different types of mourning. A type of mourning that, is, that we normally associate, and then one that you might not have anticipated. The first one is mourning over loss, mourning over a death, a loss of a job, loss of a friendship, this kind of mourning. The second one is mourning over sin. And Jesus actually deals with these two different types of mourning very differently. But we're going to begin by talking about mourning over loss. But before we start, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you, Lord. We ask that you would help us as we discern how you turn mourning into dancing, into joy. Father, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So the question is, how does mourning a loss turn into dancing? How does Jesus turn grief into joy? It seems kind of overly ambitious, like he's, he's kind of showing off or, or something like that, because there's such extremes. Grief to joy. I mean, if we are experiencing grief, wouldn't we be content just to have contentment? Right? I mean, wouldn't that be quite a step? It would be so nice to be able to go just from grief to contentment. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm going to take you from grief all the way to joy. But Jesus' promise of turning grief into joy, how does that actually happen? So a pastor friend of mine, John Ortberg, told me a number of years ago that Christianity is about receiving more. Now we all experience grief, sure. We all experience mourning. But as Christians, we get more. We get more from God. We get more to help us with our grief. A number of years ago, I personally experienced my greatest loss. And it actually wasn't a death. Now, normally, that you would assume the greatest loss to be with a death. I have experienced uh, family loss and friends loss, but this is not that. 
I was working at a place and my boss was very charismatic. However, if you got on his bad side, he was very verbally demeaning. He was abusive. He was toxic to the extreme. And he would do this to the employees and to others. And I remember one day there was this gal who was just getting unloaded by my boss. She was just being devastated. It was so bad that she was actually shaking from his verbal onslaught. Later on in the day, I asked him about that. I confronted him about that, and he fired me. Now, if that was the end of the story, then it's just kind of a lesson lost. But he wasn't satisfied with that. He decided that he was going to track down all the people that I know, that my wife knows, and he was going to get them to turn against our family, to even go after our kids. And he said some false, horrible things about us. It was just awful what he said. And I'm not sure what is worse, the fact that he was so terrible or that so many of our friends were willing to believe what he had to say. He was trying to isolate us. He was trying to destroy our family, and it was working. We had a number of people who still cared for us. Uh, Pastor Stuart Briscoe gave me a call, and we talked for maybe about an hour and a half. He gave me some good advice, and he prayed for me. I was sitting at my computer at the time, and I remember I hung up the phone, and I put it in the receiver, and then I started hearing music. And I was kind of annoyed, so I figured I must have started some, one of the programs that I was in. I started looking through my programs, trying to shut this music off. And then I recognized the song. The song was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I thought, well, that, that's kind of nice, but this is still kind of annoying. So I was still trying to shut it off. And then I started hearing the words to this particular version. I wasn't familiar with this version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it talked about being taken captive, being isolated being put in exile. And then everything became surreal. And it started to really feel like Jesus was talking to me. Like Jesus was trying to give me a message. And there was this refrain that kept happening over and over and over. It said, take heart, O weary soul, take heart, for help is on its way. And holy is his name. Take heart, a weary soul, take heart. For help is on its way. And holy is his name. I started to smile. It was probably the first time in months, maybe two months, that I smiled. And my wife came home with the kids. And I said, you would not believe what happened. And I played the song. And she started smiling as well. And soon we were laughing, and I believe the kids were jumping up in joy, jumping up and down. And from that moment on, everything got better. It was still awful, but everything started getting better. So how does Jesus turn grief into joy? Christianity is about receiving more. Both Christians and non-Christians, we get comfort. We can get comfort from others. But as Christians, we get the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, and this is Jesus talking, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you 
forever. This is amazing. Jesus wants to help us. He wants to guide us and comfort us. And we are actually allowed to invite the Holy Spirit inside of us. And I have found that as I read scripture and as I pray and I grow closer to God, I am more sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to me, how he is guiding me in my life. The Apostle Paul, he wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament. He was inspired by God, but he wrote many of the books in the New Testament. He was very close to God, and he's considered by many to be kind of this super Christian. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4, he has this description of God as our comforter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, Paul, actually, if you're familiar with his story, he went through a lot of loss. That guy had a hard life. He lost status, he lost his friends, his finances, job security, at times his health, and yet Jesus over and over and over comforted him. And he can do the same thing for us. We can also receive as Christians and non-Christians love and compassion. Yes, we both get it. But as Christians, we will receive more. God in, or Jesus in John 15 verse 9 says that as much as God the Father loves me, this is Jesus speaking, as much as God the Father loves me, I love you. And God loves his son an infinite amount. That might be a verse worth writing down when you're having a hard time. John 15, 9. And you know, the thing is that Jesus isn't fooled by this fake self that we can put on about ourselves sometimes, this persona that we can show others. He knows the real us, and yet he chooses to love us. It's very reassuring. God wants our anxieties. He asks for them. And he says, I want them because I care for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. And another thing that God offers us is actual, real, tangible hope. Now we can get some sympathy from others and we can get some love and some compassion, although it's not always done well, from others. But only from Jesus can we get real hope. In John 16, verses 13 through 15, Jesus promises us to guide us and help us right now with the Holy Spirit. We have that hope. And we also have a hope in the future. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, for God so loved each and every one of us that he gave his only son. He sacrificed his son. So whoever believes in him, should not perish, should not have eternal death, shall not go to hell, but have eternal life. Go to heaven. Jesus sacrificed himself for our future. And that future has real hope. We can read about it in Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, 
nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, I understand that if you are grieving a death, that this last 10 minutes might not be enough to move the needle for you, but perhaps it's opened up your eyes to some possibilities. If you would like to explore this further, we have a class called Grief Share. I'd be happy to tell you about it after the service. Or perhaps you're experiencing a loss like I did. Pastor Matt or myself or anybody up here would be happy to talk to you after the service more about that. Jesus has turned mourning into dancing for thousands of years, for millions of people. And how has he done it? By giving more. Jesus gives more comfort, more love. And he gives a hope for us for now and in the future. Jesus can help us heal. But as I stated earlier, there's a different type of mourning, and I would like to spend the rest of our time together this morning talking about this other type of mourning. Jesus can turn mourning of a loss into joy, but how about mourning of a sin? Well, Jesus works very differently when we mourn a sin, and there's two different types of mourning that we have when it comes to sin. We can mourn the consequences of sin, and we can mourn the fact that we have to give up sin. Now, the first one is, is pretty straightforward, right? When we, when we sin, it creates a disaster in our lives, right? I mean, have you ever been caught lying? How awkward is that? It's very uncomfortable, right? And then if you have to deal with those people again, you know they kind of don't trust you. How about gossiping? Or maybe you have too much pride and you've had to be taken down a notch or two. Or anger issues and how that can spill over into so many of your relationships. And of course, the, the fashionable sin right now is addiction. Addiction is rampant. It's all over the place. Drugs and uh, just YouTube and video games and pornography. And these things affect so many other parts of your lives. And I'll tell you, that porn addiction is not going to help you grow closer to God. It's not going to improve your relationships with other people. Sin is destructive. It causes you to focus in on yourself and be more and more self-absorbed. And we mourn that, the mess that it creates. And I'll tell you one thing, Jesus is not going to turn that mourning into dancing. Yay, I just cheated on my taxes. Thank you, Jesus. I feel so great. That's not a thing. That's not ever going to happen. Yes, Jesus has forgiven us. Absolutely. And the eternal consequences have been paid. But Jesus is not going to make us happy about sinning. Now, Christians and non-Christians, of course, mourn the consequences of sin. But God's goal is to mourn not just the consequences of sin, but to hate sin itself. And the problem is, sure, we hate the consequences of sin, but, but we kind of love the sin. <laughs> and until we can hate the sin and push that out of the way, Jesus has a hard time working in our lives. See, sin and God, they don't mix. They don't mix at all. 
Wayne. Wayne is an airline pilot. He's married and he has two young daughters. And he's also the type of airline pilot that has a, a woman in every city. He also has a drug, uh, drug addiction. He's uh, very much into alcohol. <laughs> and most of the weekends that he's home, the police have to come visit him on the weekends. Oh, and he has an incredible talent, probably one of the best talents I have ever seen for lying. <laughs> a really accomplished liar, most impressive, but people don't tend to trust him for obvious reasons. But Wayne had one thing that was really going for him. He absolutely hated his life. <laughs> he just hated his life. He mourned the destruction that sin was causing in his life. And so he came to church, and that's where I met him. And he was absolutely committed to the idea that he was going to change because he hated the disaster that was his life. And I and about eight other guys we committed to try to helping him out. But I'll tell you, I don't know if it was even that, that first week, but soon after really getting to know him, I really had my doubts. I did not think this was going to come together for Wayne. I did not have a lot of hope. You see, Wayne was really tempted by his past. He really missed the fun of sin, and he mourned the fact that he had to stop sinning. He loved sinning. And you know what? If we're honest, so do we. We mourn having to give up our sin. And just because we become a Christian, it doesn't mean that it stops. Remember Paul, the super Christian that wrote most of the New Testament? In Romans 7, 19, he talks about this. He says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And he continues on in verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. We love our sins. There's not one of us that can go without sinning. And we don't sin because somebody's making us do it. We sin because we want to do it. We'll go to extraordinary lengths to sin sometimes. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Yet Jesus says that he can help us. That he can help us resist sin. And Paul learned the secret to how to resist sin and replace the sin with joy in Jesus. And he showed others how to do it, how to resist sin. He wrote to a church in Corinth. This church, they loved sinning. And the fact that they had to stop sinning, they absolutely mourned having to leave their sins. And Paul wrote a number of letters, and one letter in particular changed the whole situation for that church. It caused them to change. It caused them to lose their desire to sin. And Paul, in his next letter, talked about that. 
And we can see that here in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. And and this is Paul speaking. And now I'm glad I sent it. He's referring to the previous letter. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the same kind of sorrow, the same kind of pain that God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow, the kind of pain God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And there is no regret when we experience that kind of sorrow, that kind of pain. But worldly sorrow, in other words, we're just sad because we're experiencing the consequences of sin, which lacks repentance. In other words, the only reason I'm sorry is because of the consequences of sin, because I got caught not because I sinned, that results in spiritual death. That results in spiritual death. We need to feel the pain of sin, and it helps us to stop wanting to sin. And God uses the consequences of sin to help us hate sin. Matthew was a contemporary of Paul. He lived the same time that Paul lived. He was a tax collector, and that guy was hated. He was hated by the Romans. He was hated by his fellow Jews, but particularly by the Jews because he took money from the Jews, and he always took a little extra for himself, and he became an extremely wealthy man when so many other Jews were not. But something about that really bothered him. It really bothered him so much so that when Jesus showed up and said, Matthew, I want you to follow me, he stepped right out of his life and he walked into a new life. No, let's consider that. He walked away from his wealth and his security and his comfort and what it is that he knew into the completely unknown to follow Jesus. And he did this because he was learning to hate sin. Just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, for the kind of sorrow, the kind of pain God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. The world disagrees. The world says, nope. The world wants us to sin. To not feel the sorrow of our sins. They want to shut down Christians. They don't want us to say that sin hurts. They don't want us to point out how devastating sin is in our lives. They don't want us to talk about truth. It's all about my truth. Well, my truth is not truth. And anything that's not truth is a lie. I do me. You do you. So I can be comfortable in my sin because I can be comfortable in my suffering for my sin. And who is behind all of this? Who's behind this crazy self-destruction? Who is trying to comfort you in your sin, trying to protect the sin that is in your life? And it is Satan. This is Satan. And he's recruiting. (laughs) He is. He wants you to help people feel safe in their sins. He doesn't want people to feel the consequences of their sins. And he doesn't want you asking questions about their lives. And certainly he doesn't want you pointing out how miserable 
they are in their sin. But the problem is, Jesus wants us to feel the pain of our sin. He wants us to hate sin, whether we're kids or adults. Satan wants us to feel comfortable in our sin, to feel safe and protected in our sin, to not feel the consequences of our sins. Jeremiah 17.9 says that just desperate wickedness comes out of our hearts. And our hearts want to feel safe in our sin. They're desperate for that. But sin is not safe. It is deadly. And if we protect people from the consequences of sin, we are deceiving them. If we protect ourselves, our family, our friends, our kids, and our society from the consequences of sin, we are deceiving them. And we are working against Jesus' purposes. Now, we can't be jerks about it. We have to give them the truth. They need to know the truth. But we do this with love and with grace. This isn't about bashing. This isn't about yelling at people. See, when Satan is offering all this comfort around sin, it is really hard to decide to willingly face the consequences of sin, to get to the point where you can hate sin. It is a terrible struggle. It is a daily struggle. It is a struggle that we all have to go through. We can read about all the people in the Bible. They all struggled with this. We can see this in Jesus' disciples. Time and time again, they need to learn the hard way. They have to learn from the consequences of their sin. In Matthew 16, Jesus is telling his disciples, there's a hard path ahead for you. There's a hard path ahead for me. And I'm going to die. And Peter says, no. <laughs> no, don't follow that path. There's this comfortable path. <laughs> it's easier, Jesus. Let's go this way. Not your path. This way. And Jesus famously responds, get behind me, Satan. He knows what's going on. He knows where that path leads. That is Satan's path. And today we have the same choice. Daily we have to make the decision which path we are going to go down. And Jesus and Satan every day are standing there waiting to help you go down their path. We can take the comfortable path and we can deny our sins and ignore the spiritual death that is behind it. This path seems easier. It is more comfortable. And it's what our hearts really want. Or do you take the hard path? Do you decide to fight the sin in your life and the lives of those around you? Do you face the consequences of your sin and learn to hate sin, the sin that is within your very heart? It is the hard path to stand against the culture. And you have to do it in love and in grace. And that love and grace will not be extended back to you. You will be criticized. You will be told that you are unjust and you will be called a monster. But you will also be on the path of Jesus who adds more to your life. As we learned earlier, Jesus' path to help us mourning a loss, to help us mourning a death, 
is a path of comfort because of the Holy Spirit. It's a path of love and compassion because God, as much as God loves Jesus, Jesus loves us. And it's a path of hope. A hope now because the Holy Spirit is within us and a hope now in the future because of Jesus' sacrifice. And Jesus' path will help us in the morning of sin where we'll not only learn how to hate the consequences of sin, but to hate sin itself. It is a path to a stable life that is founded in truth and in a meaningful life. And it's a life that resists Sin. Jesus' path is harder. He lets us know that right off the bat. But he has such beautiful plans for you. And they are unique plans designed specifically for you. And if you follow these, this path, there are many people who will benefit from it. There are many people who will be changed because of it. But we have to follow his path and not the path of sin. Wayne, the pilot, he took the hard path. It took nine of us, investing three years of our lives. Man, that was just a knife fight. It was just a knife fight. But he stopped wanting to cheat on his family because he he just mourned for that sin. His heart wanted it so desperately. But he went through the pain and he went through the suffering. And now, we're 20 years later. We're 20 years later. And he and his wife have such joy. The kids have moved out and they love their dad and they love Jesus. And his family has Jesus' joy. They went from extreme mourning and grief to joy. But you must fight for it. You have to put on the armor of God and choose the hard way. It is a path of mourning. It is a path of pain and loss and struggle. And at the end, you will say, that was so hard. That was so hard. To fight against my sin. To help others to fight against their sin. It was so hard. But it was a good life. It was a meaningful life. And I became who God created me to be. And it was worth it. Because of Jesus, it was worth it. And it was not a false life filled with fluff. It was a real life built in truth. And I was loved. And I was useful to God. And I was comforted in my losses. And I had hope for my future and I made a difference. I made a difference. Jesus has more. He took my pain and my mourning and it became dancing. For in Revelation 21.4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that you want to help us, that you want to help us with our grief, and that you want to help us in our struggle against sin. 
It's such a cause of grief in our lives. Father, we ask that you would help us to have soft hearts to hear what it is that you have to say to us, how it is that you want to guide us, Lord, and help us to be open to that path. We know, right now, we know that that is a harder path to choose. We ask that you would give us the strength and the wisdom to choose that path anyway to the better life. Father, we ask that you would come alongside us and help us in this endeavor. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.